0: Alright, Alexander the Great, part five. Can't believe I've done almost four fucking hours of this stuff, and by the end of this, it'll probably be closer to five, and I won't be done with the story. Uh, Nobody's listening yet, but that's alright. I want to get this shit done so that I can actually move on to something else, but I want to be a completist and not just leave shit hanging like I normally do. Uh, Thing coming after this, I I want to take some time and just get my thoughts down on how fucked our society is and how we've allowed shit to just fucking let go for so long but, you know, that's a soapbox type of thing and it's kind of narcissistic and so I want to give myself some time to think about if I really want to be that guy even though every single fucking person on earth seems like they annoy the shit out of me Anyway, on to the story of Alexander the Great This is part five Um, I'm just going to do a brief recap Just to sort of have uh, the ends connected, but you know, this is very high level. But you know, uh, upon the murder of his father, Philip of Macedon, uh, Alexander the Great assumed the role of, you know, king and captain general of the United Macedonian and Greek forces at the age of 20 and invades the fucking Persian Empire like his dad wanted. Um, He wins a series of battles, uh, including the Battle of Issus, where he forces the uh, Persian King of Kings to flee like a punk bitch. In the most recent battle of Gaugamela, Alexander once again displays masterful tactical generalship and forces Darius to flee the battlefield a second time like a bitch. Now that's uh, obviously, I don't think Darius was a bitch, but Alexander did make him flee like a bitch, uh, so that's the divide. At this point, though, I mean, you you make a guy run twice. You, Darius is not going to recover from this, okay. But the only real drama now becomes: Will Alexander's creeping megalomania turn out to be his actual deadliest and most daunting opponent? Because on the battlefield, you can't fuck with this guy. He's got the perfectly balanced, versatile weapon. He knows how to use it. He's got a great command of tactics. But, uh, you know, as a few people still realize, the true battle is inside oneself, you know, and that's another one that's going to be a difficult uh, enemy to beat for Alexander because everything that's happening to him is pushing him towards a dark place that uh, I don't think many people in the history of humankind could have handled. So that's why I want to... I want to pause a little bit before we pick up the story, um, because in a way, this was the climax of the story in terms of Alexander as a conqueror, you know, Galgamela. I mean, that's the biggest battle up to this point in human history that's ever been. Now, that being said, I don't want you to, ooh, well, I've listened to this much horse shit. Nobody's even listening, by the way, but if, you know, this hypothetical listener that you are Um, You think, well, it's over. No, no, no. Because that being the true character study of Alexander the Great is now beginning, okay? It's a story that I actually would argue is more interesting um, than just the battle narrative, you know, the conquest of of Asia, okay? Because here you've got a guy who's been groomed his whole life for this role, okay? He's been given every advantage in life. His fucking tutor was basically one of the top three philosophers of all time. Okay, His mother's in his ear talking about how he's the son of fucking God. His earthly father, Philip the uh, of Macedon, is maybe the greatest military leader slash statesman uh, of the entire Hellenic slash ancient Greek period, you know? Up to that point. Then Alexander takes over the army at a fucking young age, 20 like I said, and proceeds to fire off a string of just like, one after the other, each victory more stunning and epic than the one before it. So now, after defeating the massive army of Darius at Gaugamela, Alexander is going to advance into Persia itself and beyond. Um, but he's no longer a liberator at this point, right? He's a straight-up conqueror and avenger. You know, because, I mean, uh, up until now he was sort of freeing the people that the Persians had conquered and put into their empire, but now he's into Persia itself, and that's different. It's going to put a ton of pressure on both Alexander and the ties that sort of bond him to his people. Both the new people and his old people. This is where the shit actually gets interesting, you know? Only, I mean, children like the fucking battles, but uh, real people that want to fucking learn something, you know, that they can actually use in their lives are going gonna... to... I enjoyed this part more in terms of the psychology of this guy. It tells you a little bit about what we can expect out of our leaders, right? All right. So the oracle at Sira had told Alexander that he's going to become the Lord of Asia. And by this point, that pronouncement's looking pretty damn spot on okay um now uh, waiting for him is the opportunity i mean think about where he is in in time in history, okay he's got a chance to become the all time greatest conqueror of all time in world history. How could somebody raised like he was raised um you know, not want to push himself and see, you know, all right, what's the fucking limits to this thing I can do? Right? I mean, there's nothing about his background that says, let's ease up, you know? I think he wants to, obviously, I mean, it'd be like, I don't know, you get close to breaking a record of something that you've dedicated your whole life to doing, and then the thought of not. Sort of pushing through and keep on going. I don't think that um, people with that sort of mindset that would never sort of enter in their, enter into their thoughts. So he plows on ahead. I mean, part of it is he still's got a, you know, Darius I mean, has gotten away, you know, and he can still raise a tiny army, you know. I mean, he's still got some loyalty. I mean. He, He's disgraced, obviously, but, um, I mean, that's not the only, you know, honor and glory isn't the only thing that motivates people. But uh, Alexander, you know, plows ahead into Persia. I mean, it's hostile territory, and he's got to figure out, like, what to do with these people. These Persia, I mean, Persia isn't just Darius and then a bunch of foot soldiers. There's a whole chain of command and, and leadership structure that he's got to deal with. There's powerful people and nobility. Um, to his troops, Alexander's characterizing this next phase as revenge on the Persians, but, um, you know, as we'll see, that's not how he's going to spin this to the people he's supposed to be getting revenge on, you know? He approaches this thoughtfully. He's not like, let's go in and just fucking kill them all. I mean, he's thinking big picture. Alright, so a few days after the Battle of uh, Galgamela, uh, sort of in his characteristic fashion, as you should probably pick up by now, Alexander's on the move again, heading towards Babylon. This this here is the last city where he's ever going to be welcomed uh, as a liberator. Uh, On the way there, he was sort of negotiating with a guy named Mizeus, who'd been the satrap of Babylon, but he'd actually fought... Um, against Alexander at Galgamella. He was one of the guys, you know, in charge of the cavalry that was fucking Parmenio's shit up. But anyhow, um, Alexander and uh, Mizeus eventually work out a deal where Mizeus was going to surrender Babylon in exchange for Alexander, basically letting him on his team. Uh, And and Alexander said, all right, you can continue on as the, um, you know, the satrap or the the governor of the area. So, because, I mean, again, you got to think about this. I mean... It's a very immature view of strategy and conquest to think let's just fight fucking everybody. Like that does not work. You'll bleed yourself to death before you finish the job. So in this deal, no blood's getting shed, and the Macedonians entered this famed city of Babylon. I mean, you know, the Bible calls it, you know, thinks it's an awful place, but you know, if you know, Christians or you know, deeply religious people, Babylon sounds like it's fucking fun as hell, man. It's basically like Las Vegas. And LA combined maybe and so when Alexander enters um Babylon, man, it's full on pomp and circumstance and I bet that shit I would love to have seen the fucking uh parade and the turnout for this motherfucker. I mean, this is a huge city, it's it's uh you know, you got the hanging gardens of Babylon, it's beautiful, all these beautiful palaces. You should you should go on the internet and take a look at some of this shit. Um Just in terms of, uh, like, what they think Babylon, ancient Babylon looked like. I can't, I mean, I would have been freaking the fuck out, man. And then you got the whole horror Babylon, that sort of thing. I mean, I guarantee you there's some good-looking people in that place. I don't know about you, but uh, Persian people are fucking good-looking, man. They're one of the few uh, peoples... Where both the men and the women are pretty damn good looking. So they enter in, you know, uh, to much celebration. You know, because Babylon was conquered by the Persians. You know, Babylon was its own thing. I mean, that's basically the difference between Iraq and Iran, you know. They've always been different. Persians conquered them, but weren't super dickheads. But uh, at the same time, Babylonians were like, hell yeah, we're done. We'd rather be ruled by a guy that, you know, lives a thousand miles away than the next-door neighbors. So Alexander and his army settles into Babylon to sort of, you know, I mean, they got to rest and relax. Galgamela was a hellacious battle, man. So they uh, settle in there to rest and, and finally sort of enjoy the fruits of their conquests a little bit. I mean, if you can't stop and fucking smell the roses in Babylon, well, what are you doing? What's the point? But here now, um, Alexander makes it public that Mizeus is going to continue as the governor, which I'm sure that pissed off Parmenio and all the old-school Macedonians. I mean, you're letting that, I don't know what uh, racial slurs they had for each other, but I'm sure they had tons of them, you know? You're letting that Persian fuck join our team, man? What the fuck, dude? That guy tried to spear me just three weeks ago, you know? That barbarian motherfucker. Alexander had to have been frustrated. It's like, are you motherfuckers unaware of something called grand strategy? Jesus, a bunch. Of, I, I, I'd be sick as shit of Parmenio and these conservative motherfuckers. Um, these old, old hardliner, you know, uh, Parmenio gang, the old guys, Phillips uh, boys. They also notice that Alexander's starting to show a lot of interest in uh, local customs and religious rites, etc., Um, of these conquered territories something I'm sure also shocked the shit out of these old school conservative hardliners in his army but here I mean Alexander is doing it by the book he's winning the hearts and minds of the people he'd be ruling over but Macedonians are just a bunch of racists who like to bash and then fuck things or vice versa or just you know bash and fuck at the same time Alexander's going about the right way in terms of realizing, like, you can't just iron fist people and expect everything to go okay, but Parmenio and them are, are from a different time of where, nah, dude, you spear them in the fucking face, and if, then they'll shut up. You know, it's like the people that all they can think to do with, with a crying child is just beat the shit out of it. So, anyhow, yeah, after having a good time banging all the whores and eunuchs or whatever else they banged, I mean, it... Back in the ancient world, it literally could have been anything. Alexander and the men, uh, after doing all that, sucking and fucking their way through Babylon, they set out for the next city, Susa, which is basically like the second capital of the Persian Empire behind Persepolis. Um, and, and it's actually in Susa is where he gets his hands on like the real treasury of the whole Persian Empire. Like, that's where Sousa was. And there's more gold and wealth here than... Literally, it blew Alexander's mind. He didn't even think that this was possible to have this much fucking money. Um, Like, they just kept finding warehouses with gold and shit. Like, he'd go into another warehouse and be like, More gold? God damn, what is going on here? Alexander wasn't even into the money, okay? I mean, he you know, when they set out on this whole thing, he gave away all his inheritance to, to get the people to come with him. He didn't give a shit about money. This guy was into fucking, what got Alexander off, uh, aside from fucking, uh, the eunuch he stole from Darius, Bagus, but what really got Alexander off was power, man, and, here at Susa, he finally got to sit down on the fucking Persian royal throne as the king of the Empire. I mean, this is where Darius' throne was. And Alexander sat down on it. Of course, um Alexander Darius is probably like six feet, and Alexander is probably like five foot three. Um, so his legs dangled down off the uh off the uh throne as if he was some kind of like third grader sitting in his daddy's office chair, which was kind of absurd, but they brought in a table to put his feet on, but even I mean, this is this just tells you you can't please any fucking body back then or today. Because as soon as they you know brought in the table to put there, so Alexander's feet weren't dangling like a, a, a ridiculous little boy. <coughs> excuse me, some Persian off to the side starts wailing and pitching a fit because it was like what well, that was a special table we ate off of, and Alexander was like I don't want to offend the guy. So he's going to put it up, but then one of the guys is like, no, that's a, fitting, that's a fitting metaphor, dude. He used to eat off this table. You're putting your feet on it, man. Fuck them. So it's a pretty good uh, example, analogy, whatever you want to call it, of this dilemma that Alexander's uh, you know, entering into. I mean, it, he's not going to be able to please any of these motherfuckers, you know? So while this is going down... Sparta had still been back in Greece starting shit. Um, this whole time they'd been, you know, really talking shit. But now they finally um, had really started, you know, raising up armies and starting a problem enough to where um, Antipater, who, you know, if you remember, is Alexander's regent back in Macedonia. Antipater finally was like, you know what, fuck this. And so he took the uh, what's left, what was left to him of the Macedonian army down into Sparta. And stomped a mud hole in them at, at, uh, at the Spartans at a battle at the Battle of Megalopolis. and the Spartan king who'd been starting all this shit was named King Aegis uh, they killed his ass, so problem solved Sparta's done. you'll never hear anything about these motherfuckers ever again after battle I mean they were pretty much already done anyway, but um, this is really the end of them so by this point it's winter. Uh, and they're, you know, I mean, they're in Iran, which is pretty mountainous, so it's cold as fuck. Of course, Alexander thinks, doesn't think twice about picking up the chase of Darius. I mean, this, Alexander was a hard dude. That's a part of how he, le- he led, is that he was out in front. And I said it before, but I mean, he's either going to shame you or inspire you. But either way, you're following him because... You're not going to let your fucking king be harder than you. That's just not how they rolled back then. So he sets out for Persepolis, which is the Persian uh, capital. Uh, Heads out in January through the Zagros Mountains. This is fucking cold, hard, desolate country. In January, the coldest possible time. But he's a hard man, you know, and that's an interesting sort of example in terms of like Alexander never rested. I mean in life, you're never gonna be able to rest. Hard working people retire, they're miserable, they gotta keep going. And this Alexander realized like you gotta stay hard. If you if you let yourself go soft for even just a little bit, it's over. He was like a shark in that perspective, you know, you if you stop you're dead. So anyhow, the satrap in Persepolis had heard that Alexander was in Susa by this point, and so he got together a small army and decided that okay, if he's coming through these mountains, I know the way through, uh, and the one mountain pass that led to Persepolis—some uh, people call it the Persian Gates—but uh, the satrap in, in Persepolis, this guy named Ario Barzanes, uh, he took a you know a decent amount of troops and set up in these, in this little mountain pass that it's kind of like a gorge that went through the mountains, um, called the Persian Gates. And he was like, all right, we're going to set up on this motherfucker and block him. Cause the only other way, um, if they, you know, around then was so wide and sweeping that it would take Alexander forever and they'd be able to then fall back to Persepolis and, you know, evacuate everything and get everything they could, you know, get out in time in terms of money and people and, relative stuff like that, so Ario uh, Barzanes thinks he's got a pretty good um, strategy to, you know, take this impenetrable or impassable position that he's fortified. He built a wall across the gorge and you know, that way, he's he eat he, Alexander's either gonna destroy his army by throwing it up against this fucking roadblock, or else uh, he'd have to take the long way around and give this guy plenty of time to operate. On the way, though, uh, Alexander passed through the mountain lands of a people called the Euxians, and these guys held another one of these tough defensive positions through the mountains. And this is these guys were so hard to get past. These guys are smack dab in the middle of Persian territory, and the Persians had just figured, hell, it's easier to pay their fucking toll than to try to go up in there and get these motherfuckers. That tells you how like secure a stronghold they had. But no, Alexander. Uh, He don't play that shit. He ain't paying tribute to nobody's ass. He doesn't care if you're at the fucking top of a mountain. So like he did, he went the hard way, outflanked the Uxians, and sort of fell upon their villages in the rear where he just started butchering and burning and raping and, you know, skull-fucking or whatever. Uh, Everyone in sight. uh, Till the point to where the Uxians backed down and were like, Hey, (laughs) sorry, dude, man. They surrendered and let him pass, so as Alexander approaches the Persian gates, um, he sent the bulk of his army with Parmenio on that slower route that I was telling you about the one that you know is that they thought that they were going you know have uh, that if Alexander took that path, they'd have plenty of time to fall back, but he only detached a little bit uh, and then while he took himself uh, with a sort of a group of his light troops that he liked. You know the javelin throwers, the Hypaspists, uh, um, the you know uh, guys that were slingers, archers, Cretan archers, stuff like that. And he was like, "All right, let's go hit this fucking position, man." And so uh, Alexander launched a fucking direct assault on the position, and obviously got repulsed. They were rolling boulders down on him and shit, and they had their own arrows and javelins and whatever else you can think of. Uh, that actually took a toll on Alexander's men, but, I mean, do you think he, that relentless motherfucker gave up at that? Nope. He split his force again, which is crazy. Like, you're you're never supposed to split, but this guy was really good at, at breaking off detachments that were suitable for the task he had it, uh, in mind. So he took half his forces over this crazy uh, mountain peak that was dangerous as fuck. Um, again, doing a, a flank attack, and ended up in Ario Barzani's rear, and this took like two or three days where these motherfuckers didn't have food or any shelter and stuff, and he's up in the mountains, but these are hard dudes. These are like, he takes his green berets up through there, gets in his rear and blows the trumpet uh, so that Craterus, who is you know, a big player uh, after Alexander dies, Craterus has the, the half that Alexander left behind. They assault Up the front, and Alexander hits him in the back, and they slaughtered all of them. So it was at this point that um, the person left in charge after, you know, uh, Ario Barzanes had left uh, Persepolis, this guy that he'd left in charge sent a message to Alexander saying, Hey, man. Uh, if you want to get here before the rest of my boys uh, loot all the gold, you got to get here soon. So Alexander once again detached his men and just took his light cavalry, and they rode hard to get there in time, Uh, and they made it. So they captured the city intact, and Alexander entered Persepolis on January 31st, 330 B.C., I think. Don't quote me on that. But it's here that um Alexander probably realized that like uh fuck, these Persian religious leaders, which they were um worshipped Ahura Mazda, which is their god, these Persian religious leaders were just never gonna acknowledge him as a legitimate ruler, no matter how many satraps and political leaders and royal family members came to Alexander's side. It was these fucking religious people who held the loyalty of the you know the common people and so this was always going to be a problem uh, in terms of them accepting Alexander as the new king of kings. So he just said, fuck it man, let his soldiers run amok in Persepolis. Uh, and they got, they had a good old time. I mean it wasn't quite a siege attire type mayhem, but they got their fuck on I bet. Um, you know, and, and beat the hell out of a lot of people and slaughtered some people and stuff like that. and. Alexander man, propaganda motherfucker. He obviously says this is payback for when Darius I uh, burned down Athens a couple hundred years ago. Payback's a bitch, which, you know, I'm don't. I I'm not buying any of that shit. Uh, I think he just realized, like, these guys are never going to fucking acknowledge me, so fuck them. You know, I mean, he's a smart strategist, but he's also human. You know, I'm sure he lost his temper like he, he's prone to do. So, what happened next is not very clear, as as with every fucking story in this saga, it seems like. There's multiple accounts of what happened, but, um... The one I'm sure Alexander was pushing was that, um, you know, he and his friends were having a party in in the capital, in the royal palace, you know, getting drunk as hell. And they had, you know, women with them and all kinds of hangers-on stuff, having a good old time. And apparently, um... Some high-class Athenian hooker who'd been, you know, shacking up with one of Parmenio's sons, I think, um, was just casually like, oh, yeah, let's set this place on fire. And Alexander's like, you know what, we ought to fucking do that. You know how people get drunk and say stupid stuff and then do stupid stuff. Yeah, no, I, I don't know that that's true, but anyhow, they did. They fucking burned uh, the palace down. You know, and blamed it on, dude, we just got wasted. Sorry, man, you know, shit happens. We got wasted. We burned down the frat house, for instance. But I will say it's awfully convenient that um, the palace didn't get burned down until fucking the royal treasure had been looted and removed from the palace and everything of value taken out. And so some people, and I, I think I and probably in this group, say that Alexander fucking did premeditated arson on this shit to send a message to the Persians, but also to kind of um kiss the ass of the Greeks back home. But then when people sort of called him out on his Machiavellianism, he's like, no, 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 that hooker. We were just having a good time. Blame her, though. It was her fault. Anyway, after this... um, you know, after his men had fucking looted the city and run rampant he burned down the palace alexander left persepolis and, you know cuz now he's like all right well we got to go get darius cuz his thoughts here is that you know if he's not going to get recognized as the as the king of kings by these religious fucks he's just going to have to capture darius and force darius to uh capitulate and then acknowledge Alexander as the new king in front of everybody. Take him on a tour of the, the, you know, empire and have him say, no, Alexander's the king now and I'm I'm his second in command or some shit. I don't know. So he heads to the city Ecbatana, but um, that's where Darius is. But uh, Darius had to, so Darius took off. Uh, and went sort of into the northern desert lands, um, this is where Alexander sends his Greeks home. So, <clears throat> another sort of turning point where he's like, to the Greeks that had been with him that he'd been so worried about curry in favor with, he's like, you done. I got some more people. I, I got a new group of people I got to impress. And he's basically so powerful and rich at this point, too. It's like, I don't give a shit if I got the support of Greece or not. I don't need them anymore. I've got all this. He's got enough money to raise a fucking personal army that's bigger than the shit he had. So again, it's like, okay, things are, he's starting to get more and more personal power and he doesn't have to be so diplomatic to anybody anymore. You know, it's turning. And he sends Parmenio back to Ecbatana as the military governor of the area. But uh, I think that's a move basically to get Parmenio off his dick and quit fucking chiming in with his advice and talking shit and opposing him being a multiculturalist and all the other stuff that just annoyed the shit out of him. But it's one of those moves, too, where it's like, no, this is an honorary position. But in reality, he's just putting that old-ass dude out to pasture. (coughs) So Alexander picks up his pursuit of Darius and goes hard through some rough terrain, man. I don't know if you know of this area that's... Gets up into, like, Turkmenistan and fucking Azerbaijan, all that stuff. Um, that area, where it's, like, desert, mountain, stepland, you know. North of the Hindu Kush. And he's going hard. Along the way, he gets the fucking bad news that, like, I mean, just imagine, you know, you chasing Darius, and then you get a word that Darius has been deposed uh, in a coup by his close advisors who'd been with him. Um, with the satrap of Bactria, which is where they are, you know, modern-day Afghanistan, named Bessus, taken over as the new king of kings, and to the point to where he renames himself Artaxerxes Fourth. Alexander had to be like, fuck. Darius is now chained up in the back of an old wagon, man. He's like an insurance policy, I bet, you know, in terms of um, the guys that usurped him. If Alexander gets too close, they just fucking dangle Darius as a trade in order to say, hey, look, if we hand this guy over to you, you let us go free, right? So when Alexander found this out, he pushed harder, man, and he wore out men and horses. as He, he made up the ground, dude. Like, he knew where they were. They thought he was, like, three days behind them. He rode hard, and by, you know, literally night and day. uh, By the time he caught up to them, they were so fucking uh, oblivious to the possibility of him catching them that they were totally shocked and surprised, and they just took off in all directions. I mean, it was basically morning time, you know, dawn. And he comes riding up hard with only—I mean—a small amount of guys. He was outnumbered by the Persians, but he, like he did, his aggression and speed. And this is sort of a hallmark of all the great leaders, from Julius Caesar to Napoleon to Heinz Guderian. But he he got up on them fast and made them react, and they fucking panicked and got the fuck out of there. Uh, but before they did. The conspirators ran Darius through with their fucking javelins and then took off in different columns, you know. So Alexander had to split up and go chase him. And again, we've got, once again, uh, differing accounts of what the fuck happened. Uh, But a lot of, I mean, regardless of the, um, you know, story, uh, Darius's, you know, wagon kind of careens off into a ditch and some people say that it was like a Macedonian soldier that chanced upon Darius because the guy was going into the ditch to get some water and he saw the wagon and went and looked inside and saw that Darius had been fucking stabbed up went and got Alexander. Some people say Alexander uh, himself is the one that found Darius and either way I mean I would like to believe that Alexander came in and, and was able to find Darius before Darius died and they got him some water and you know, they Alexander and Darius clasped hands like at the end of Heat when De Niro and Pacino uh you know, do that the very last scene before De Niro dies and I just it'd be nice, it'd be poetic if they were able to at least have a few words. I mean they'd shared so much in terms of The battles and shit, you know, went through a lot. Alexander claimed that, and I, you know, take this with a grain of salt, that uh, with his final dying breath, Darius was like, Avenge me, like in fucking Red Dawn. Avenge me! Basically saying, go kill that Bessus motherfucker, which I'd be... If Darius was alive, I bet he probably was like, Hey, dude, I don't care what you do at this point, but kill that motherfucker up the ass. But whatever happened, Alexander didn't have any malice in his heart for Darius. That much is is pretty. They buried him. You know, Alexander wept, I think some people say. I believe it. I mean, you know, shit, man. He'd been trying to fucking get this guy for the longest time. And, you know, Darius was, was solid. I mean, he ran like a bitch. But, I mean, you had to acknowledge the guy's skill. I mean, he was not... He was not a fucking great man by any means. He was just the guy that happened to be in charge when the fucking shit went down. Anyway, all the malice that Alexander used to have in his heart for Darius was gone, but it was now aimed at fucking Bessus, the Usurper, who'd fucked Alexander's plan up to have his reign legitimized by Darius. So now that Darius is dead, Alexander's going to have to find a new way to get recognized as the king of kings, which is going to be hard as fuck in the eyes, you know, in the eyes of the Persians. He he's got to get acknowledged and how the fuck are you going to do that? So now that like um Darius is dead, I want to take a second now just to talk about the Persians in general is yeah, this kind of represents the end of their empire, the one that was founded by Cyrus the Great, but um If you study them at all, man, I fucking love the Persian people. That kingdom, their leaders, uh, I mean, they were a very noble, hard people. I mean, those mountains of Iran are not fucking easy territory, man. Those are hard-ass dudes. Like, they had an obsessive love of telling the truth. Like, that was their big thing, is like, man, we, we they that's why they kind of were disgusted by the Greeks, because they thought the Greeks were liars, and they were like, you know, we tell the truth, man. They, They weren't. Muslims at this point, if you think they were Muslims, you're a fucking idiot who didn't know shit about history. The Muslims comes a thousand years later. These guys were just the Iranian people at this point, and they were fucking solid, I thought. I mean, they weren't. In this time and period, you know, the people that had preceded them in terms of having the biggest empire in this place were the Assyrians. And those guys were fucking murderous perverts. They got off to killing people they didn't the Persians didn't torture people I mean as much you know I'm not saying say ever but they were pretty cool man they used diplomacy and money and stuff I mean they were smart they had ethics um, obviously they were doing something right to have had the fucking biggest empire in world history up to that point but anyway I, I just wanted to pause cause I really do admire those guys you know They they get cast as the fucking bad guy in the story, but I don't think that's the case. But anyhow, back to the story. Um, Bessus had too much of a lead on Alexander, so Alexander had to regroup uh, and gather his whole army together, and uh, they were under the impression that, like, okay, it's all over now. Darius is dead, and so not for the last time, Alexander's gotta give a speech uh, to the men in order to motivate them. you know, it's like if we can hey look, I know you think it's over because Darius is dead but look, here's the thing, we gotta catch this Bessus motherfucker and then it'll be over, right? because if we don't catch this motherfucker, he's just gonna go off into his fucking homelands and gather up an army and start some shit in our rear so you might as well deal with him now rather than deal with him later because you're gonna have to deal with them at some point. We might as well do it now while we're fucking here, rather than wait till he comes back and gets us when we're at home. So they get on board, uh, and everybody heads off into Afghanistan and Pakistan, to, uh, whatever else, uh, Turkmenistan up there to hunt down Bessus. Along the way, you know, a bunch of other high-ranking Persian officials end up surrendering to Alexander, including um, this guy named Barzani, He's one of the guys that murdered Darius. Alexander would fuck up by naming Sadabarzanes Satab- the satrap of the area and then moving on, because right after Alexander heads out, Sadabarzanes kills the Macedonian garrison that he left with him, and, and he basically forms a band of Bactrian cavalry raiders. So Alexander had to turn around, go back and deal with this rat-fink motherfucker, um, and eventually like chased him down to where... Uh, this guy's side of his men were hidden uh, hit in a forest on a hill. And Alexander's just like, burn the fuck, burn it, burn, burn it. So he, that's how he dealt with them. He burnt their ass up. So here's another, I want to take another pause, because, you know, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this thing, it's kind of a more of a, we're moving into the character study of Alexander and less about you know, these grand battles. Because most of the shit he's fighting now is basically what we're doing in Afghanistan in modern times. Fucking small band fighting, you know, going around doing counterinsurgency stuff. Except he's having to do it by hand. And he's damn good at it. But anyhow. Because um, what I wanted to talk about is the fact that, uh, you know, we we hinted about it earlier. But Alexander had begun to sort of adopt the dress and customs of the Persians. And that really chapped the asses of the conservative elements of the Macedonian army, like I said, but, you know, this is a fucking crazy, radical new idea to unite two cultures under one sort of banner, you know, through our diversity we'll be stronger. Like, he's trying to do that now, 330 BC. He's saying, look, you know, I know we hate each other, and we call each other barbarians, we have nothing in common, he says, but... I see through that, and I see how if we if we unite, we can be real strong. I mean, this is a radical undertaking in fucking modern times. Can you imagine in ancient times, I don't even think there's a, a word that uh, expresses how unprecedented this would have been. This is fucking extreme shit, being like, yeah, you people that uh, don't even think the other people are humans, you know, we're actually gonna fucking start learning about each other and Let's meld. You know, being being broadly open-minded in the ancient world, not a good way to be in terms of getting people on board with you because nobody is going to be on board with that, actually. You try to bring two cultures together, and they both end up hating you. So, you know, he's fighting a losing battle in terms of winning hearts and minds, but the motherfucker, you got to admire him for all of his other faults for at least trying this shit, right? All right, anyway... Pick up the story. Alexander's, by this point, he's up into, like, the modern-day area of Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan, Uh, you know. He's fighting guerrilla wars because there's no huge cities, there's no huge garrisons, but you got to go deal with these fucking villages and these warlords that have all the, the military. This area has been more or less uh unconquerable by every fucking army that's ever tried it. And Alexander came damn close to pacifying this whole area. And like I said, he did it by hand. It was just him and a bunch of dudes going from mountain village to mountain village and fucking people up until they said, Alright, man, alright. So at this point, um, Along the way, though, comes a major fucking uh, change in things, okay? Because right about right now, I'm sure, you know, because we said we he sent the Greeks home and stuff like this, Alexander's probably realizing that, like, he's his own man. He doesn't need Parmenio and any of these other motherfuckers, and so time to get rid of his ass. But he couldn't just go right at Parmenio and say, like, I'm done with you, you're fucked. I mean, Parmenio had uh, the loyalty of... The whole army, I mean, you know, at least his his, uh, hardliners, but the whole army, you know, revered the guy. So Alexander had to sort of be opportunistic, and Parmenio had a son, Philetus, who I may have mentioned, but he was the head of the Companion Cavalry. Fucking really skilled dude at what he did. Uh, But he was also an arrogant fucking prick that just made a lot of enemies in the army because he's just a tactless motherfucker, and, and he was overbearing, and I mean, you imagine, you know these guys, right? It's like the Jordan rules, you know, he's good at what he does, but he's a fucking insufferable dick. And a lot of people just had a lot of malice in their hearts towards him because he's just a fucking asshole. Like, you could admire him, but you're also like, man, fuck you. Philetus had a um, like a Greek mistress named Antigone who, unbeknownst to him, was telling Alexander every goddamn thing that uh, Philotas was telling her. They'd be getting it on, and Philotas be talking all this shit. She'd go tell Alexander, but unfortunately, for Alexander like most of what she was telling him wasn't enough to warrant you know execution. It was just more along the lines of like. I'm so fucking good, I wish I could switch bodies with you, Antigone, so I I could feel what it's like to get fucked by a guy like me. That kind of shit. I mean, you can ima- just imagine what he's like. So, Alexander's got his mole in this you know, guy's bedroom, basically, but it's nothing good enough you know, war- that Alexander can bring him up on charges of treason or something. Um, but, around this time... Philotas gets approached by a dude who told him that his brother's gay lover was part of a plot to kill Alexander. Which yeah, that's right. This guy says, "My brother's gay lover is part of a plot to kill Alexander." Okay? And Philotas uh, understandably enough was like, "Dude, how many of these fucking gay lover quarrels am I going to have to fucking referee, man? Cuz I'm sure it happened a lot." Um, and the guy but the guy was fucking like, "Hey man, I'm serious, man. You got, you know, You gotta do something about this. Are you gonna do something about this? And so finally he was just like to get rid of the guy. He's like, yeah, I'll fucking tell Alexander, man. Fuck off. But you can see how, like, I mean, imagine how many people went to him and were telling of plots. You know, I mean, Parmenio thought there was a damn plot. Every corner he turned against Alexander. So, I mean, Philtus was like, dude, I do not have time for this shit, man. Same time... I'm sure Phil wouldn't have been too upset if if there really was a plot against Alexander and they they fucking pulled it off, you know? He's a dick. Dicks that's what dickheads do. But I think he, he basically didn't tell Alexander because it was just seemed trifling to him and it was like based on hearsay, you know? I mean, like But uh the guy that had told Philetus this, waited, and a couple of days passed by, and nothing happened, so he got impatient, went straight to fucking tell Alexander, Uh, because, you know, Phil, he knew he found out that Philetus had been in, like, several meetings with Alexander and hadn't told him, so he's like, fuck this, man, I'm telling Alexander, and it came out that, like, um well, I tried to tell Philetus, and he didn't tell you? So Alexander's like, Oh shit, I got your ass now, boy. Um, so Alexander dealt with the conspirators, but then he brought Filtus in and was like, uh, Why didn't you warn me of this plot? And at this point, like, Filtus doesn't realize what's going on, I think. So he's just kind of like, Well, you know, I didn't want to bother you with this shit. I mean, it's... You know, you know how these gay guys can be. I don't, that, that's not what he said, probably, and I don't think that. But you know what I mean? Like... He was downplaying it. He's all casual, but uh, Alexander is like, "All right, man," you know, and sends him on. But then Alexander meets with his closest uh, advisors, who are all his boys gr- from growing up. You know, it's guys like um, Craterus I talked about, his homie uh, Hephaestion, who is like his like real best friend, his bestie. His bestie that, you know, we rub our penises together. You know, it's no big deal with bestie. We bathe each other. He's just my best friend. You know? Jack him off. You jack me off. It's just guys. That kind of best friend. Then it was Ptolemy who, you know, ended up running Egypt. But he was one of Alexander's boys. Um, None of the old school people. And they all kind of thought that Philtus was a prick. They all grew up with him. They are like, man, fuck that guy. Let's do, you know... And Alexander, obviously, has is, is got mental control over these guys, because these guys think he's a god. And so they all decide that Philetus is pretty much guilty, and so acting in accordance with tradition, they put Philetus on trial, um, with Alexander serving as, like, the, um, the lawyer, the prosecutor, and the whole army is, like, the jury. So they, you know, are going to bring him out there to try him. Uh, but beforehand, they worked Phyllitus over hard enough to make anything in Guantanamo's Bay seems like fucking tickle fight, you know? I'm sure they did that shit like where, like the Chinese prisons, where they just beat the shit out of the soles of your feet and stuff. Um, Where they'd take those rubber bats and beat the fuck out of your quads, like for days, so that you're just dead. Um... Maybe they did tickle him. You don't fucking know back then, man. Anything could have happened. But obviously, as we've heard, um, you know, over time, that you torture people enough, they'll fucking confess to any damn thing. And so Philetus was like, yep, yeah, nope, me and my dad, yeah, we did that. Just please stop tickling me. And by tickling me, I mean get that hot poker out of my ass. And so he also, you know, Like I said, he uh, implicates his dad and himself, and then Alexander's got a bunch of other people he hates, so he's like, yeah, name this guy, this guy, and this guy, and you'll be done. So he does it, and uh, they parade him out in front, and Philetus confesses, and he signs a confession, all this stuff, and they they kill his fucking ass. And Alexander dispatches men to go deal with Parmenio as well, and... uh, Parmenio's loyal troops didn't like it, but they were presented with the quote-unquote proof, and so there's nothing they could really do, and so Parmenio got dealt with too, so boom. Kind of in one stroke, Alexander gets rid of his fucking internal enemies, finally. These people had been fucking, you know, fighting him or opposing him every way, second-guessing his ass the whole way. And he was paranoid as it was, so this is is where he starts, his paranoia starts uh, taking tangible form, and he starts getting rid of motherfuckers, but um, in exchange for this, there'd been a cost. He lost a lot of goodwill from the army because of this, and that was going to rear its ugly head against him. And now you see the fucking paranoia, because when you get rid of some enemies, you create other enemies, and... You don't know who that is. So he starts fucking censoring, like, the soldiers' letters home. And starts basically internally spying on people. And it's on now, you know? You you match his absolute fucking power. Meaning that he's the only person that has power in this shit. He's gotten rid of all the other people that probably could have challenged him in any way. He's paranoid. He thinks he's a god. He's never met with defeat. I mean, who? Alexander stands alone now. He's not checked by anyone or fucking anything. And as they say, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That saying was probably coined after this story of Alexander the Great because he's unstoppable and he's gonna make sure he's unstoppable. So with that, I think we're we're done for a little bit here. Uh, The next piece is going to be Alexander finishing off his fucking um, anti-guerrilla campaign and sort of, you know, that area, Afghanistan, Pakistan, up there, then he's going to go down through the Hindu Kush into India, he's going to fight some crazy fucking battles there against the Indians who are no joke. And he's going to have a fucking uh, uprising amongst his men where they flat out mutiny on his ass. And he's going to make it further than anyone else has ever made it in the history of the world up to that point. But the motherfucker's also going to die a tragic death at a young age. And his vast empire won't stand for long, but uh, that's for next time. And we're also going to just further study his decline into megalomania as Parmenio and his boy Philotas are not going to be the last people that Alexander uh, does away with. It's fucking going to get real tragic, man. But next time we're getting closer and closer to the end of this shit, stick with me. Uh, I hope it's worth it. If not, I'm fucking trying. See you soon.